My why is I help entrepreneurs make their dreams happen. They usually respond to that by saying, well, how do you do that? I go, well, with my books and my podcast and my second, you know, my CEO Alliance and, and my speaking events. So then they ask me my what. Basically, I've gone from a five second pitch to a 10 second pitch to my 30 second elevator pitch. And I think anyone who's a thought leader needs to understand not just their why and their core purpose and the how and the what, but they need to be able to succinctly deliver that so that they can then be that thought leader. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou. And boy, do we have an exciting guest lined up for you today. Today's guest is a man who is a giver. I mean, before we actually even met, he did me a solid by introducing me to someone else who became a great guest on this show. But he's got quite the stellar resume. He was, I think, one of the first employees of a uh, past guest on this show, Brian Scudamore of 1-800-GOT-JUNK, and he helped build that company to its trajectory of success. And right now he runs something called the COO Alliance. And this man is a thought leader of thought leaders for helping chief operating officers take their performance to the next level. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Cameron Harold. Welcome to the show, Cameron. Hey, Nikki. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, you bet, man. You bet. Thanks for coming on the show. So, Cameron, our listeners are all people that are in business for themselves. They're all entrepreneurs. And I believe that entrepreneurs are some of society's greatest heroes because they're the ones who have the courage to go out there and dream and do what they need to do in order to make those dreams come alive. And they listen to this show because they know we believe in them, but they also listen to the show because they want to learn, not so much from me, because I'm here every week, but from you, our guest expert. But before they can open their hearts to you, they need to get to know you. So tell us your backstory. How'd you get to be the great Cameron Harold? Well, I'll tell you, if you say that we're the heroes, I think a lot of entrepreneurs have gone from zero to hero. I think a lot of us as entrepreneurs were the dumb kids in school, the, the kids who struggled in school, couldn't you know, pay attention or learn the way that school was meant to be taught. And we're really so far outside of the box that we got bored very quickly. At least that was my story. I grew up in Northern Ontario in Canada. I grew up about four hours north of Toronto, a small town called Sudbury, Ontario. Grew up in a family of entrepreneurs where both grandparents were entrepreneurs. My dad was an entrepreneur. And to this day, my sister, my brother and myself have all run our own companies for between 18 and 25 years. Um, I got involved in university in an organization called College Pro Painters. I got a very early stage franchise with College Pro Painters, opened up Northern Ontario for them and did very well as a franchisee for them. And I really got, I guess, bit by the entrepreneurial bug. You know, I had 12 full-time employees when I was 20 years old. So I was, was really off and running, but I was scared to fail. And because I was handed this franchise system, this business in a box per se, I just did what the best practices were. I follow if the 
If it said the keychain should be yellow, I had a yellow keychain. If it said this SKU number waste paper basket, I had that waste. I didn't want to screw anything up. So I just did all the, the best practices. And really, since then, I've kind of followed the best thought leaders and did everything they've told me to do, right? If Jim Collins says, obsess about your flywheel, I focus on the flywheel. So that was my starting point. Um, after doing a, a long stint with College Pro Painters, I ended up recruiting, hiring, and training 120 of their franchisees. That was back in the early 90s. Kimball Musk was one of the franchisees that I hired and trained, Elon's brother, and also his cousin, Peter Reeve, who went on to build Solar City. They were both employees of mine back in 1993 in Toronto. Um, left there, and I was a partner in a chain of auto body collision repair shops. I, I led the franchising group for what in Canada is called Boyd Auto Body and Glass. In the United States, is called Gerber Auto Collision. It's now a $2 billion revenue company, publicly traded on the TSE. Um, so we built that company up from seven locations to 65, took the company public. I left right as we were going public. And I was hired as the president of a private currency company. Um, kind of similar to what Bitcoin is doing today, but we did it 22 years ago. We ended up with 30,000 companies buying and selling using our currency instead of the US dollar. And we had Starwood Hotels, Avis Rent-A-Car, Budget Rent-A-Car, Hard Rock Cafe, Bose Stereo, all using our digital currency. So I built that company up. We sold that company to a U.S. public company. And then the stock market crashed. And right as we were selling this company for $64 million, the stock went from $22 a share down to $2.15. So our $64 million valuation was worth about $3. Um, I ended up with effectively not nothing, but certainly nowhere near to what I had. So I joined my best friend, Brian, who had started a company called The Rubbish Boys. He was changing the name over to 1-800-GOT-JUNK and, and really wanted to franchise it. He'd sold 12 franchises, but he really didn't know how to franchise. He, he didn't have an operating manual. He didn't have a franchise training program, didn't have a marketing program, no PR program. So I joined to coach him for a few months. I said that working for him would be like kissing my sister. And we joke about it that, you know, for six and a half years, it was like we were full on, full on couple because we built it together. So I was employee number 14. When I left six and a half years later, we had 3,100 employees system wide. And I'd been the chief operating officer during that entire growth from 2 million to 106 million. So I exited left, right as we got to about 330 um, locations. We were operating in, I think, 46 states, four countries. And Brian, my best friend, said, I think our time is up. I think you're the wrong guy to take us to a billion, but you were the right guy to take us to 100 million. So I broke down in tears. He broke down in tears. And that was it. And that was 16 plus years ago. Um, so I decided to start working behind the scenes, coaching some high growth companies. And I started working with some brands that um, were really small companies, one out of Toronto called I Love Rewards. They became what's called achievers. I worked behind the scenes with them, helped them sell for over 100 million, coached another company out of Vancouver called Nurse Next Door and really taught them how to expand. They became the number one company to work for in BC. So company after company that I was touching started to do really well. And I started getting asked to, you know, how am I doing it? I wrote my first book called Double Double. I've since written six books. Um, and then about six years ago, I launched this, the COO Alliance launched a podcast called the second in command podcast um, recently launched my sixth book which is called the second in command and my entire career has really moved towards helping the coo scale companies for their ceo so really if it's a, a general manager vp ops whatever they're the ones who are members of the coo alliance so that, that's kind of it 
You know, one of the incredible things about people in the UK compared to people in Canada and the United States is they speak in complete sentences and paragraphs. You can actually follow what they have to say very well. And you do that too. Bravo. Kudos. That was brilliant. Thank you. I think it's 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 years of training and working with the press, working with the media that you have to learn how to speak in sound bites and you have to learn how to speak fairly succinctly. Otherwise, the media is not going to cover what you want them to cover. So for me, I, I'm cognizant that we have a, a finite amount of time and I've got to get the right amount of information over. Um, so it's probably years of training and practice. I'll tell you something, my friend. Inside the work I do with thought leaders, there is a there's a three day course that we do. And one of the things one of the exercises we do is we help folks kind of identify their expertises and their expertise. We always say it's not your job title. It's not what you did last. It's not your accolades. It's the things you've learned. This is one of your expertises like this was this was wow level. You know what I mean? Like I've had Thank you. 500 plus guests on two podcasts, okay? And I've interviewed some of the smartest thought leaders in the world. This is the best anybody's ever come on my show and in a very short period of time delivered a comprehensive look at their career, comprehensive and engaging look at their career. So Thank you. for whatever Thank it's you. worth, you're, um, that ought to be like a program that you sell or upsell to your well, clients. <laughs> it's, it, it's funny. I mean, you know, I, I first landed my first story about me running a company back in 1986 in, in Sudbury and uh, have gone on to, to get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories written about me in the media. I ended up writing a book called Free PR years ago on how to land free public relations, free press coverage. But it's, you know, how we got on Oprah and how I've been covered in the physical I've been in the physical print edition of most major magazines like Fortune, Forbes, you know, Entrepreneur Success, et cetera. And there's this, there's an art to doing that. And and but again, I want to I want to focus on your clients. So absolutely. But, but I'm I'm telling you that, you know, putting my thought leader hat on, it's like I've got to imagine that there's people inside your network of clients that would find this very valuable and helpful. You know, yeah. Well, let me let me give you some value for, for our client for the listener then. So sure. I'll give you two points. The first is that whenever you're talking to the media, whether you're talking to a blogger or a podcaster, a magazine, newspaper, whatever, think about what your core story or angle is going to be, and then what are the five core points that you want to get across? And just stick to those five points. You might have to repeat it over and over. So when we were building one eight hundred got junk. We had to keep mentioning franchise partner, franchisee, franchise territory, because they weren't going to say, are you a franchisor? But if we could if we could sneak the word franchise into the article 10 different times, they would at least mention it two or three. Um, or we would mention the areas we were trying to, to expand into. So for me now, it's all about the second in command. It's all about the CO Alliance. It's all about the podcast because it all kind of focuses, right? And then all the learning I can do can come around that. The second part is that if you think about Simon Sinek with his golden circles, with yeah. the, the why, how, and what, Simon was on our board of advisors five years before he wrote the book, Start With Why. Simon used to sleep on my couch in Vancouver. Wow. So way before way before Simon wrote the book, we had a lot of time with him, a lot of, of um, exposure with him. And I think of the why, how, and the what like our elevator pitch. 
you know, we've always heard that you've got the 30 second elevator pitch. The reality is you've got five seconds. And the answer when somebody says to you, what do you do should be your why. So my why, and Simon actually helped me craft it in my kitchen one night when I was cooking dinner. My why is I help entrepreneurs make their dreams happen. So if somebody says to me, what do you do? I say my why. I say I help entrepreneurs make their dreams happen. They usually respond to that by saying, well, how do you do that? I go, well, with my books and my podcast and my second, you know, my CEO Alliance and, and my speaking events. Well, what, what's your podcast about or what's your speaking about? or what's your... So then they ask me my what, and I've gone from my why, my how, and my what. Basically, I've gone from a five-second pitch to a 10-second pitch to my 30-second elevator pitch. And I think anyone who's a thought leader needs to understand not just their why and their core purpose and the how and the what, but they need to be able to succinctly deliver that so that they can then be that thought leader. No, that's pretty brilliant. I got to say that's pretty brilliant. And I think that what you have to offer to your clients uh, as a whole is obviously powerful based on all the incredible things you've helped so many of them achieve. But you just delivered a masterclass in how to be good at getting your story out there. So kudos for that. So let me dig into aspects of your story. So you were at College Pro Painters. Um, Many, many years ago, my uh, one of my younger brothers joined College Pro Window Cleaners. Oh, you're uh, kidding. Yeah. Andy, yeah. Andy Lennox was the Andy Lennox. With the he was with, he was, my brother's name is Niels Ballou, and he was one of Andy's uh, first uh, kind of franchise hires back in 87, 88, 88. Yeah. I think that, makes, that makes sense because I, I was college pro in Sudbury in 1986, 87, and 88. Yeah. And then I met I met Andy Lennox in uh, Toronto at the head office at kind of Bathurst and St. Clair in 89 when I was became a general manager and Andy was running the window cleaning business. We did some recruiting out in Scarborough. That's amazing. Did your did your brother uh, was he a franchisee or was he a window cleaner or what was he his? was a franchisee. He he ran um he ran a franchise for two summers. Uh so awesome. Yeah, I'll tell you, they, well, they could do I, I spoke with one of the writers from Fortune magazine, Justin Martin, years ago, and he almost did a story about all the incredible entrepreneurs who started at College Pro Painters or College Pro Window Cleaning. Um, College Pro became Action Window Cleaning. But yep, yeah, like right, the did. guy who started the guy who started Lava Life, the big telepersonals ad in Canada, Nick Payne was College Pro. Kimball Musk ran ran North Toronto from Young Street to you know, the M5M zip code up in North Toronto. He was a franchisee. Peter Reeve, who built Solar City. I could go on and on with all these great entrepreneurs that learned from the college pro painting, you know, world. That's incredible. Yeah, that, that's yeah. absolutely incredible. Uh, it's a small world too. And he was a but good guy. You know I met him a couple times back in the day. You know what I, what I really learned about that whole model was about keeping it simple and about putting systems in place that the worst franchisee in the worst market with the worst employees can actually still be successful at. And you need to do that in the business world. We need to put systems in place in our company that our, you know, our B and C employees can follow. You don't want to put these systems in place that are so complicated that you need an MBA to figure it out. But if you can, if you can kind of simplify all of the systems to the lowest common denominator, you've got a chance of actually solid, predictable success. You know, the founder, the founder of College Pro Painters said to me one day, if you can't write it down on a half piece of paper, you're not thinking clearly enough. I've gone one step further and said, if you can't write it on a post-it note, you're not thinking clearly enough. 
any any system, right? Any best practice, you should be able to document on a post-it note. And from there, you can move it to a Google Sheet or a Google Doc, but don't overcomplicate it. Keep it simple. You know, outside of my business, one of the things that I'm involved in is I run a men's organization. Uh, a little over a dozen years ago, my then wife seemingly out of the blue decided she didn't want to be married to me. And maybe I should have seen it coming, but I so did not. And wow. I, I spiraled for a while. And thanks to uh, a friend of mine who introduced me to a man who ran a men's organization, I got involved in that men's organization and it took a while, but I went from being a victim to being somebody who took full responsibility for his life. I got involved in this work in a big way. And what I started to do was enroll a lot of men and not necessarily just men that were going through a divorce, but men that were just dealing with the vicissitudes of life to join the organization. And I think today, we're living in an era and a time where men being together is, is something that isn't happening the way that it was 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years ago. And sure. one of the thought leaders whose work I follow very closely is John Eldridge in the arena of men and masculinity. And he says that every man needs uh, uh, a beauty to win, uh, an, an adventure to have, and a cause to fight for. And we can only do those things with other men. And so many men aren't with other men. So we've created a, 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 a space for men to be with other men, right? And this is the legacy I want to leave behind when I go, is I want to create a place where young men who are unsure about how to, you know, be a good, honorable, masculine man in this day and age can learn how to do that and also have a, an environment where masculine conversation and camaraderie is celebrated and, and, and accepted and we love what we do we've got a bunch of really committed men involved and i've been thinking about why the heck are we stagnating why the heck do we s seem to hit a certain ceiling and not get past it and listening to you it strikes me it's not simple our message isn't simple why we do what we do isn't simply communicated to enough men there's a lot of men that are out there that if they understood this in a visceral, simple way, would go, yeah, of course, I want this, I need this, but it's not. Well, there's there. two, there's, yeah, there's two components to that. One is if we can get the message simplified in a way and give them the sound bites to share, right? We need to give not only us the sound bites that we can share, but we need to give the, you need to give it to your members so that they know the sound bites to share. But the harder part is men don't fucking share anything. Like we could stay in the absolute, <laughs> we could stay, we could stay in the best hotel that we've ever stayed in or go to the best restaurant we've ever eaten in. And we don't tell anybody. A woman stays in the best hotel. She tells 12 of her friends. She goes to the best restaurant. She tells 42 of her friends. They keep talking about it. They like, so women share, but there's a marketing tool there, by the way, if you're running a company, target your marketing to women because they actually will share, target your messaging to women, tell the women what you want them to say, because they'll say it. It's much harder to get men to share stuff. But if you're going to give men, you need to give them the data because men like facts and we like data. And then you need to give them the speaking points. And men are a little lazy. You need to make it super simple for them to share. So it's like the clickable Facebook link where they click on a link and it opens Facebook for them and it's pre-populated with the share. A clickable LinkedIn link, a clickable, like those links already exist, right? Where you can click on them and it pre-populates and opens. But if you can make the messaging simple, 
it helps. I just dropped something into your uh, into the chat for the Zoom that we, maybe we can share with people that are listening. Is that sure. one of the things that I think that men need to do is to visualize themselves three years from now, and who do they want to show up as? As a friend, a father, a confidant, a partner, a lover. Um, what are their hobbies? What are their passions? What are their bucket list ideas? So I wrote a, a five-page document that describes me as a person three years from now. Now, I wrote this document a year and a half ago, so it's coming true December 31st, 2024, but I published this wow. 18 months ago. But my vivid vision describes every single aspect of me, and then I share it with the world. So when your members decide and describe who they are in every aspect of their life, and they write a five or six page description of themselves, and then they share it with their kids, their friends, their confidants, the people that are in your tribe, you get them to share that document on social media. That's another good way to kind of amplify your messaging, but it's also a great way for them to continue to grow as, as, as men, because we're committing to it, right? We don't just have the dream. Like, and that's, by the way, we, we did that to grow our company as well. When we built, um, 1-800-GOT-JUNK, we crafted what Brian used to call a painted picture, and I, I kind of coined the term vivid vision. Yeah. I had one two years before for my auto body company, before I joined Brian, or for, sorry, for my um, private currency business. Yeah. So this idea of the vivid vision is a really powerful concept for, for business and for life. I like it a lot. You know, what you're saying about men is very true. They don't share uh, compared to women, and they are lazy. There's a term that we... Uh, use inside our community called the lazy loiterer. And we ask a man, are you being a lazy loiterer in life or are you giving it your best? So lazy loiterer or best, there's no in between. You're one, you're one or the other, right? And most people, when they say I'm giving it my best, what they mean is they're making a half-assed effort. That's what they mean. Yeah, I'll do my best. That doesn't really mean their best. Inside our world, when we say to a man, are you giving it your best? We mean, are you going a hundred times harder than you would normally consider going? Are you absolutely going to the nth degree at this task? And that's the only time you're allowed to say, I'm giving it my best because giving it your best in the culture has, has been watered down to mean, yeah, I don't really care, you know? Right. And, and that's, that's really one of the things that we work to get to men. I like what you're saying about the the short sound bites and, and and the shareable links. We're going to look into doing that. I, I definitely think data and facts are are powerful and important. We do give them in some facts, but we could give them more. And giving them something they can easily share. Yeah, we've got some things that they're sharing, but we, we could do more with that. We could take that to the nth degree. This is us giving it our best. So I appreciate you sharing all of this with us and revealing Perfect. some of your trade secrets. So, but let me finish my thought on why I decided to go into this and, and why it's so important for me to get this legacy thing done. This is as important to me as, as my business work. And we'll, we'll get into my business work real briefly in a second. I believe that when I go, it's my duty to leave a better world for my children and set them up to be able to leave a better world for their children's children. My fear right now is that we're not doing that. In the Western no. world, in fact, we're doing the exact opposite for a variety of reasons that are probably beyond the scope of the conversation we want to have today. It's not happening. And the only way that I believe it will happen is if we can get people off of their darn devices long enough 
to be in an actual relationship with another human being, or in this case with other men, that they make them think. And if we can go from 20 men, which is roughly where we're at right now, to 100 men and 1,000 men and 10,000 men, Margaret Mead once said that a small group of committed people can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. And I mm -hmm. want to be part of that small group of committed people that in this regard is going to change the world. And I thank you for what you've revealed here, because not only is it useful for my listeners, but I've been taking detailed notes. I'm going to use some of what you've taught me myself. Great. That's the point. Yeah, exactly. So tell me, uh, Cameron, what do you feel COOs need to be thinking about when they're helping their founding entrepreneurs scale their business? What are the things that they need to keep their eye on? Well, one of the big ones is to really keep the lines of communication clear and open and to really work on building and, and kind of strengthening the trust between the two, between the COO and the CEO. It's very similar to a husband and wife or partners in a, in a, you know, in a partnership that it, it's all about trust and open communication and honest honesty. And what happens in the day-to-day -day of running a company is we can get separated right? We can start getting distance, growing apart. Um, so you need to have time where you get off site together, you reconnect as friends, you have some hobbies together, you go for lunches and coffee, you go for walks, you go for runs, you go to the gym, you hang out on the ski lift, whatever, but you need to be able to have time with the CEO to build a relationship. And I think so often we get bogged down to the projects and the emails and Slack and the team and the day to day that we forget about the core under kind of the it's the foundation of what everything else happens from. So it's really spending time on that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of you sense. You know, you think about it, you think about it, if for, like even for a company that has everyone showing up at an office, which just doesn't exist anymore, you're still, you know, you see each other for a half hour on your weekly one-on-one -on -one, and then maybe in your leadership team meeting and then you're both off running, being busy and you might bump into each other a couple of times in a hallway. Well, how do you foster even that amount of time when you're working over Zoom and from different cities, right? You have to be very cognizant about actually building the connections and trust and communication. It means way more quick video, way more um, attempts to actually be in the same city with each other, to do fun activities with each other. I think, you know, the offsite is the new onsite, right? That getting, getting offsite together is the way to actually build the connection that we used to have just by walking down the hallway. It's also doing things like personality profiles. Maybe it's engaging a marriage counselor so that you have a marriage counselor working with you and the CEO to help you on communication and trust and opening up, handling conflict, right? We have an, an amazing um, marriage counselor who's worked with dozens and dozens of CEO, COO relationships. She's worked with Wall Street power brokers and their relationships with their spouse. It's virtually the same with a CEO and a COO. You know, that's, that's too funny. Uh, a few years ago, when I got started in the work of uh, working with thought leaders, I had a business partner and we hired a man to work with us who worked with men in particular who were in relationship distress with their wives. So that was his specialty that <laughs> you brought him in to kind of fix it when things were really mucked up. And after he worked with us, he started to work with other founders who were partners 
and uh, I, 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 I'm just laughing because oh, it's so like something that we, we did and we think makes a lot of sense for a lot of people to bring into their business relationships. Someone like Steve Richmond. That's critical. I mean, it's like it's I like people laugh when I mention it, but again, I've been in the COO or the second in command role three or four times. I know what it's like to have that time. I remember when we were building the auto body business and I said to, to Terry, the CEO, I want to have a one hour weekly call for just you and I. He's like, no, I don't need that. I trust you. I, you got this. I'm like, no, no, it isn't about you. I want the time with you to pick your brain, bounce ideas, run you through what I'm going through, have you hold me accountable to shit. Like, I want us blocking it off. He goes, okay, we'll do that. Well, that's like date night, right? You need time to get away from the kids. You need time to, to work on stuff. You, you need time to have like, so husbands and wives need to get away from the kids. They need to have vacations together without the kids. They need to have a bedroom without the kids sleeping in their bed. They need to have activities and hobbies that they do without the kids and with the kids, right? Vacations without the kids and vacations with the kids. So, you, but the CEO and COO need to do all those things too. Right. Brian and I would run on Tuesday and Thursday mornings, just the two of us, like 630 in the mornings. We would work off site on Fridays at either his tennis club or my tennis club. We'd sit and work together and just kind of get a bunch of stuff done. We would um, go on on like trips off to his family cottage, just the two of us to do strategic work thinking. Um, we would go for lunches and coffees constantly going for drinks constantly you know, he was at my home frequently, I was at his home frequently, without the rest of the leadership team around, right, without other employees around. But it was time for he and I to really stay in sync to be that true yin and yang. It's why the cover of my book, The Second in Command, has the yin and yang logo, is I really believe that it, that's how tight that the CEO and the COO need to be. Maybe your next book should be called Date Night for COOs and CEOs. <laughs> I might be done. I might be done writing books for a while. I just got my sixth out the door. Sure, sure, sure. But I'll tell you that metaphor really hit home for me. Uh, mm -hmm. And I cover it in I cover it in the book The Second in Command. I mean, I go into pretty good detail about how the CEO and CEO need to build that strong relationship with each other. Yeah. Uh, might be a little a short series of videos that you put together if you're done with writing some books, but I just think it's a very powerful metaphor. And when you I will, I'll do, I'll do it, some, yeah, I'll do some YouTube videos on date night for CEOs. You totally should, bro. You totally should. You shouldn't yeah. give that. You shouldn't give that IP up to anybody else. It's too good. It's yeah. too good. It's very original. All right. So, um, so Cameron. Let's take a, uh, before we land the plane on this interview, let's take a short detour into the business of thought leadership for folks that are listening to this. I asked you to come on the show because I've been watching your work for a while and you're very good at commercializing your, your expertise. You take the time to think through issues. You've got a podcast where you go into issues and it's not all about pitching you. It's not all about shilling for your programs. It's actually full of substance. You're not selling sizzle. You're bringing steak to the table. You didn't even just bring steak to the table. You hunted the animal. You cut the meat off the animal. You drained the blood. You cooked it on a nice barbecue, medium rare. And, and, and you serve it up to your clients, all cut up. Here you go. And not everybody understands that there's a lot of in particular founders of companies that go oh 
I should be a thought leader. Okay, let me let me do some videos. Okay, let's let's do some videos. Let's make sure we talk about the company and why we're so great on each of the videos. Okay, okay, let's let's go on a podcast. And when we're on the podcast, I'll tell them all about why our company's people are the best and why we should. And I'm like oh, cringing when I hear them do this. I go, buddy, yeah. you look like a slimy fuller brush salesman when you're doing this. Shut up. Stop talking about your company. Don't even mention your company name. Instead, talk about the issues that made you passionate about getting into business in the first place and start giving people your best pieces of advice. Give them good value. You do that a bunch of times, people are going to go, oh, that Jim Jackson, man, he's pretty smart. He talks about things that I care about. Let me listen to some more of his stuff. And then after you've listened to five or 10 of Jim Jackson's podcast episodes, whatever, you're going to go, I wonder what he actually does for a living because he never even mentions it. And the guy who did that really well, as well as well as you, or almost as well as you, because I think there's a couple of things you do better, is Patrick Bet David. He started a company called PHP Agency. It's an insurance company. It was moderately successful. 200 agents, $2 million a year. He decided to get into thought leadership, and he created a channel. It was First, it was called Two Minutes with Patrick, and then it became Valuetainment. Valuetainment became the premier channel for immigrant entrepreneurs in the world. And he was talking about entrepreneurship, all the issues entrepreneurs face, and he talked about it from uniquely from the perspective of himself as an immigrant to the United States. It blew up. He went from 200 agents to 44,000 agents, sold the company for close to half a billion dollars. And that's the beauty of doing thought leadership right. And if you wouldn't mind, take a moment or two just to share with my listener how you've built your thought leadership profile and your brand and how you use that in order to be attracting the types of clients that could best use your help. Sure. Okay. So I, it, it goes back to 1986. And in 1986, I landed my very first story in the newspaper about the business that I was running. And I remember it was a guy named Tom Hewlett who was the writer for the Sudbury Star. Why I remember this name from 37 years ago was beyond me. And I called Tom on the phone from my home because we didn't have cell phones or anything else. And I called the Sudbury Star newspaper and I said, hey, Tom, it's Cameron Harold calling. Do you have two minutes? I think I have a good story for you. And he said, sure, what's the story? And I pitched him. And he said, yeah, I'd love to cover you. I'll cover this. You know, you're a student running your own business. I said, well, we've got a paint job that's a five-minute drive from your office. Why don't you come up right now? I can meet you on the job site. And he goes, that sounds great. I'll bring a photographer. No, I said, bring a photographer because we've got five guys all over the side of the home. It'd be a great photo. And he said, great, I'll bring a photographer. So I learned how easy it was to get PR. And I learned by getting PR... I could share my stories and people would listen to my stories because it was credible because it was the press. So I first learned that to be a thought leader, you have to get the press to talk about you because you're marketing. They're not going to listen to, but the market will listen to what the press says. Even if, even in this day of what we hear, you know, with fake news, they're still going to going to listen to a blogger or a podcaster or an e-zine or a magazine or newspaper or TV show or radio show more than they're going to listen to anything that you share on social. That was number one. Number two was I, I have done public speaking since I was in grade school. I won a citywide speaking competition when I was in grade two. 
Um, I used to do radio ads for my dad when I was 10 years old. Um, so I was always good at speaking and I just learned how to, to speak. I, I was very socially awkward because I went to six schools in nine years. So I never learned how to fit in, but I learned how to stand up in front of the class and tell my story. So speaking was a way that I was able to become a thought leader and share what we were doing was talking about what we were doing. And I, because I wasn't shy and I was okay with doing it, I didn't overthink it. And I always wanted to share what I was doing. I didn't have anything to sell. So I figured I'll just tell people how to grow their companies because there's nothing to sell. It was about them. And that made me into a bit of a thought leader because I made my speaking events about them. I wasn't selling anything from the back of the stage. I wasn't trying to enroll them in my funnel. I was trying to give them value. And then by giving all that value and doing all that speaking and just doing it authentically, I was rating really highly. Um, I got some speakers bureaus to represent me and, and they started to get me some bigger speaking events. And again, same thing, delivering value. And then one of the bureaus, a guy from Toronto, David Lavin, said, if you had a book, we could get you a higher speaking fee. And I'm like, well, what could you get me? And he goes, 10 grand. I'm like, if you could get me a speaking event for 10 grand, I'll write a book. Four days later, he had an event for me for 10 grand. I'm like, well, shit, I will write a book. You know, now my speaking <laughs> events, are, now my, my one hour Zoom call is 10 grand. My in-person speaking events are 40 grand plus business class travel. David was right though about write a book because it'll increase your profile. So I wrote my first book 12, 13 years ago called Double Double, really pushed to get it out there, started giving away at all the speaking events. And I realized that by self-publishing and giving a book to everybody I ever spoke to, giving a book to all the audiences, getting my thoughts out into the, I would become more of a thought leader, right? Instead of trying to sell the book, it was how many books can I get in the hands of people? So that just pushed it out even further. And I didn't want to write a book. I had no desire to be a writer. Um, but I learned a process of thinking and talking my content and then getting it transcribed. My first book, I used Dragon Dictation. You know, now I use, you know, Siri and Otter and, and a bunch of transcribers who helped me with it. And they helped me package my content in a way that I've, I've now been able to write six books. So the thought leadership became, you know, speaking and PR and writing books. And then lastly, when social media came out in 2007 with Facebook, I was one of the very first employees at 1-800-GOT-JUNK on Facebook. Everybody was laughing at me. I was definitely one of the first people on Twitter. I was in the top 200,000 people in the world on LinkedIn. Um, so whenever a social media platform came out, I jumped on that as a way to push my content and ideas out there. But again, always in a way to sell, to help people. I probably have lost millions of dollars by not having enough back funnels, you know, back of room sales. But it was never about that for me. It was always more about how can I focus on helping whoever's listening or reading or viewing, et cetera. That, those are my thoughts on it, I guess. I guess. And then lastly would be, you know, packaging and polishing yourself with a proper website, you know, getting somebody to do a better website for you. But I, I don't think it really comes down to that. I think it's just making sure you're always trying to help whoever you're working with. Even when you and I just started this, Nikki, I said to you, tell me about your audience so I know how to deliver content for them. Because if I'm speaking to the Wall Street Journal or Entrepreneur Magazine or, you know, Simon Sinek's podcast, it's a very different audience. And I need to change my content for that listener or that viewer. So it's just it's being very cognizant of who I'm here to help versus making it about me, about me, about me. And, you know, then it's always the same shit. Yeah, it's 
it's it's really um, eye opening to hear you share all of that. As as far as I'm concerned, uh, getting the press to talk about you is a um, underappreciated art, especially in 2023. One of the things that I decided to do about a year ago at this time was I wanted to go on a whole lot more podcasts. And I was finding it difficult to find people one on one, you know, in, in, in any scale, so that I could get on more than like, you know, a podcast every couple of months type of thing. I found a fellow in the States who had created a service that leveraged uh, AI to match podcast guests with podcasts. It's called Podmatch. I signed up for Podmatch. I wrote a very nice profile of myself. I put it on Podmatch. I put a profile on my podcast. And I said, okay, I'll pay the fee. Let's try it out. Boom. It was world-changing for me. Every six hours, Podmatch sent me six shows to consider and apply to be on every six hours. Wow. I'm wow. Like, Damn. So, okay, <laughs> let me get started with this process. In a year, I've been on close to 300 shows as a result of that. Many of the sh- yeah, many of the shows that I was on were small shows starting out, might have 10 listeners. But here's what was very, very powerful. If you go and you type my name into Google or DuckDuckGo or any podcast platform that you listen to podcasts, not only will my two shows show up, but 150 of the shows that I've been on will start to show up. Well, the reality is that, so I, I talk about this in my book, Free PR. It doesn't matter which podcast you're on. It doesn't matter which magazines you're in or which newspaper you're in. Even when we were on Oprah, the Oprah effect worked for for 48 hours. But what's really been amazing about being on Oprah is for the last 20 years, because it was in 2003, for the last 20 years, I've probably spoken about being on Oprah weekly. Wow. So it's it's what you do with the press that matters. So let me let me give this as some value for anybody who wants to build their brand. Think of five press stories that you get covered in. Let's say you get one newspaper article, one magazine story, one blog, one podcast, and one radio show. Okay, you got five press features about you. Those are like five logs, five wood logs that are now sitting in the middle of a pile in your backyard. Great, you got five logs, big deal. What you got to do with the logs, you got to light them on fire. So you have to put each of those five stories on your press page of your website. You've got to share each of those links three times on Facebook, three times on LinkedIn, three times on Twitter, three times on Instagram. You got to email them out to your list once a year for the next three years. You've got to um, get your employees to share it on their Facebook and their LinkedIn as well. You need to take those logs and light them on fire. But here's where the real cool magic comes in. Nick, you did this. I know you did this. When you were a 15-year-old kid and you lit a bonfire somewhere, what did you like to do with the fire? Jump over it. I'm Persian. Pour, pour, fucking, <laughs> pour fucking gas on it too, yeah, though, that right? Too, that too. But right. like, we used to like I don't know if you know much leap. about Persians, but that's one of our things is we like big fires things? And we leap over them. <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll go to Iran and check it out. So you got, so what but we used to like to pour gas on the fire. So the way you pour gas on your media bonfire is you buy traffic and you drive traffic to those links. 
so that now they're on your website reading the story and they get remarketed and they're seeing your ads everywhere. The reality is the fact that I'm on your podcast is fine. Your listeners are all going to hear me, but I'm going to share your podcast three times. I'm going to push out your podcast on my channels. I'll email it out. I'll share it on my Slack. I'm going to amplify it. And then if I find that it lights up somewhere, I might even drive traffic. I might spend money to drive my audience to that link. So they go, oh my gosh, look at Cameron getting all this press. I'm not going to wait for them to stumble across the podcast. So the amplification of the media is what it's about. Anybody who thinks that getting press is going to be the path, people are going to be the path to your door, you miss it. It's what you do with those logs, lighting them on fire and then pouring gas on it that's powerful. That's called the digital trifecta. Cameron, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I'd like to have you back in a, in a, in a few months uh, and we can uh, delve more deeply into some of the aspects of this. In fact, it'd be great to have our, our, our next episode be exclusively focused on your um, PR knowledge because I think it's first rate, it's world-class as far as I'm concerned. But Sounds good. If people want to engage with you and your work, buy your books, find out about your programs, sign up for one of your programs. What's the best way? Yeah, the, the, well, all six of my books are available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. Um, they should definitely check out the Second in Command podcast and subscribe to that. Uh, my course, which we never even touched on, is called Invest in Your Leaders. And they should absolutely sign up three to five of their key employees or their emerging leaders or themselves for the Invest in Your Leaders course. And then check out the COO Alliance if you're a company doing at least $5 million or greater in revenue. If you're not doing $5 million or greater, check out the Ops Spot, and it's theopsspot.com. It's another online community. It's only for people that work in operations, but those are all the key areas for them to go to for sure. We'll put all that in the show notes, and I'm interested in reading your book about PR. In fact, I'm going to make a point of grabbing a copy of it. It sounds like it would be it's fantastic. great. Sounds like it'd be fantastic. And I think I could learn a lot from that. Uh, Cameron, we like to end off each episode by asking you as our guest expert for your top three, what we call expert action steps. These are your three best pieces of advice in bullet point form that you want my listener to act upon immediately to take their life or their business to another level. So what say you? First is to, to, Read the book Vivid Vision or watch the TEDx that, that I did called Your Vision Statement Sucks and write a vivid vision for your life or your business. Write that four or five page description of your life or your company three years from now. That's a huge starting point. The second is to find the two or three core parts of your business that if you really focus on those things, you're going to get that flywheel effect happening right? Find out what those two or three things are and hyper-focus on those things to the kind of distraction of almost everything else. And then third, remember that it's great to grow your skills, but you have to grow the skills of your employees. It's why I launched the Invest in Your Leaders course. If you grow the skills of your people, they're going to grow the company for you, right? It's why I launched the CO Alliance. If you grow the skills of your second in command, they're going to grow the company for you. But if all we do is grow our skills as the entrepreneur, we're missing the opportunity to really scale quickly. You know, these three are excellent 
excellent expert action steps. I'm definitely going to read Vivid Vision. I'm going to watch your TEDx talk. And I really appreciate the second uh, expert action step because I'm actually in the process of doing that. I'll tell you a quick story before I let you go. I used to be one of the top fitness coaches in Canada. I worked with Olympic gold medalist Donovan Bailey and Mark McCoy. Uh, I had a brand called the CEO Health Coach. I would go speak at CEO groups. I had multi-billionaire founders of businesses who were my clients. And I was lit up fit. You know what I mean? Jacked, ripped, well into my 40s. And then I got out of the business. And I got into the business of coaching, thought leadership, and what have you. A switch flipped in my head. And that switch was you're not a trainer anymore. You can relax. You can be a little less strict with your food. You can, you know, dial down the workouts. You never stop working out, but you can dial down the workouts a little bit here and there. Anyways, long story short is over a 12 year period, I gained close to 50 pounds. And I looked at myself, yeah, 12 years, you know, one to five pounds a year. And it, it's, yeah. And I looked Been at there. myself in the mirror and I had a belly hanging over. And you got to get up until I was about 45. Yeah, oh. there you go. So you know what I'm talking uh, about, right? Yeah, keep going, keep going. Yeah. So I, I was, I had like an eight pack. I, I had a 20, 29 inch waist. And now I had a 38 inch waist. And I just said, no more. You're not a trainer anymore. So stop lying to yourself that you can turn this around anytime because Maybe you have the knowledge, but you don't have the mindset of a trainer. So you're done with that. You're hiring somebody. I found a guy who'd worked with people my age. I'm 55 right now. And this fellow had taken guys who were older than me, way fatter than me, and turned them into bodybuilders on a competition stage. You know what I'm talking about? Like ripped. Sure. And I'm like, I'm hiring you. I called him. Uh, I said, hey, this is who I am. This is what I want. Can you help me get the result? He said, yes. I said, you're hired. Cameron, I had not asked him what he charged or how he worked. Can you think about this? You're hired. That's all I said. And he said, okay, how do we start? When do we start? And I go, you better tell me what you charge. I said, look, I'm not going back on my word. When I said you're hired, you're hired. But at least tell me what the fee is. He told me the fee, and it actually wasn't nearly as much as I thought it was going to be. But I was ready to pay the higher fee. And yep. I was 227. When I started with him, this morning I was 187. We're we're freaking close, man. I'll show you a photo of me. Yeah, wow, wow. That dude. was me. That was me 40 pounds ago, 12 years ago, going or just getting ready to get divorced. Not happy. I was weighing at 222 pounds, and I'm at 182 this morning. Same, same. Finally, just had to get there, my shit together. Right there, you go. So that. Um, the reason that worked and i'm 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 gonna go down from 187 to 180 that's kind of our our goal that we're we're hitting so it'll probably happen in two weeks i think two maybe three weeks and then how we tall got, are you um i'm just a shade under six feet tall okay yeah yeah so then after that happens we're gonna get me ripped like stage shape is what i want to get into so that's that's the next deal nice. but here's what hit me that what allowed me to do that was I hired the right mentor. So 
So everyone listening to this, you got to hire a right mentor like Cameron, like myself, to help you with what you need to do. Secondly, I got clear on two or three core things that had to happen. One is I had to become coachable and forget that I used to be, used to be, could be. I had to listen to him. No arguing with his coaching. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Whatever you say, I'm doing it, right? So that was important. And the second thing was that the way that I'd been eating had to become disciplined. And I realized that because it hadn't been disciplined. I didn't eat horrible food. I ate way too much of it, inappropriate amounts of it. Uh, there was foods that I would eat at the wrong times, etc. I need to get disciplined. Those two things, and then do the workouts. Although the workouts, you know, like I said, it, they were different, but things I'd done. Those two, three core things were got me to the result. And I realized this, that if I want to take my business to another level, I need to identify those same two or three core things. And just last exactly. week, I was talking to my business coach going, Mark, hey, let's look at this. What are the key things we got to do? And he's, we're going through it. And, and, and that was that was super important. And I work with my better half. She is a three-time Guinness World Record holder. And she's kind of like been a chief operating officer running clinics for 20 years. And now she works with me. It's a long story of how all that came about. But she joined me with the a fitness program. And we're investing in helping her get her skills up. It's just two of us. We're not a big company. But her skills need to get up in the areas where she wants to be better and she can contribute more. So I'm listening to you and I'm thinking this is brilliant stuff. It validates some of the things I'm already doing and it's making me do other things that I need to do at a better level. So thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Anyways, um, listener, Cameron Harold is the real deal. We're going to put all of his information in the show notes. At the very least, at the very least, subscribe to his podcast and listen to a few episodes. That's free. Now, if you want to invest a little bit of money, go to Amazon and he's got six books. He's a writer like me. He's got a bunch of books. I got a few books too. Go buy his books. You know, that'll cost you, what, an old 100, 150 bucks. That's a small investment in yourself. Now, if you want to take it to another level and you run a significant company, then send a couple of your leaders to uh, his program, invest in your leaders. And if you're a COO or you have a COO, Come check out the COO Alliance. This man knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's doing. So make sure that you do that. Cameron Harold, thank you for coming on the show. It was a lot of fun. Nikki, thank you so much. Really appreciate you having me, man. Yeah, you bet. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's amazing guest, the one and only Cameron Harold, go to the show notes at thethoughtleaderrevolution.com or wherever you happen to listen to this podcast be it iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, Audible, or what have you. Until next time, goodbye. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice.